0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order, additional term supply.
1: Good morning and welcome to the morning briefing for Monday, October 8th, 2018. I'm your host, Eric Dame, and coming up on today's show, we're going to talk to Sean and Shaletta Brundage. They are a veteran family. Sean served in the United States Navy, uh, left the Navy. They, they had a family. They have four children. Three of those four children have been diagnosed with autism on various levels of that spectrum. When uh, the horrifying story with Maddox Rich, the young boy who wandered off from his father at a playground and was found dead a short time later, took place. The Brundages uh, uh, listened to us and reached out and said, hey, we'd like to come on and talk about Autism, what it is, how people can help families that are dealing with it, what families who are dealing with it should do when it comes to seeking out assistance and figuring out how to live uh, life properly. Happy Columbus Day to you too, Joe Schinelli. We're on Facebook Live right now. You can go to Connecting Vets' Facebook page. That's at Connecting Vets to watch us do the first segment every day. It also gets uploaded for you to watch later on in the day if, uh, you know if you're missing my beautiful face. There's your opportunity to see it. Everybody's missing it, and your microphone's not on, so you keep the comments down until I point at you and tell you it's go time, Bill Bird Dog Briggs. So we're going to talk to the Brundages about that coming up later on in the show. Normally on Mondays, we have IAVA on, Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America. Today is Columbus Day. Their organization is off for Columbus Day because, well, most of their work that they're doing uh, here in D.C., especially, is with the government. Government's off for today as well. It's a federal holiday, I believe. So... They're not coming in today, and when I thought about playing uh, one of their older interviews, a best-of interview, most of their stuff is pretty timely. Like last week, they were talking about planting flags at the Washington Monument for their Storm the Hill event. Didn't want you showing up on uh, Wednesday this week, thinking they'd be out there planting flags. So uh, we're not going to have the IAVA interview today. We'll have them back next Monday. So it'll be a uh, a shortened version of the show, just a one-hour show. And I apologize in advance, but a good 50% of that one hour is going to be... Feature the man, the myth, the legend, Philbert Bird Dog Briggs. Phil, good morning. How are you today? Top of the morning to you.
2: Permission to come aboard your fine radio vessel.
1: That was a horrible salute. I mean, it's been a long time since you were in the Navy, and a lot of sailors are just not good at saluting anyway. I mean, half the time they're doing it, they're coming back from a port call, so they're drunk. Right. They're using the wrong hand. They're looking in the wrong direction. They're saluting some other flag that's okay. over there, like the, the flag from Dave and Buster's. They're saluting that one. I like, request permission to do whack-a-mole. All that good stuff. So, Phil, did you have a good weekend? I did. I did indeed. And uh, sorry I missed your. Oh, yeah, we had the fights over sorry at my house. Sorry I missed the fights,
2: man. I didn't get back. A lot from... of
1: people are. It was a very interesting night. The main event, meh, it was what it was. It's kind of what I thought was going to happen, although. Towards the end, I bought into the the ads a little bit, and I was like, oh, I don't know. But what I had predicted for months leading up to it right. ended up being right. But really, a good time. Had a well, uh, we watched Navy.
2: Khabib's previous fight. I was at your house. Yeah, for that when he one. fought uh,
1: Ally Quinta. He, he was he he's a he's a true animal. I mean, he's a beast. Oh, um, he is. He's a guy who at one point was. Fighting or at least wrestling in Combat Sambo, which is a uh, – Combat Sambo is like a, a Russian mixed martial art, right. Russian martial art. Uh, he competed at 205 pounds, and now he fights at 155. He's had trouble making weight several times, but it was a good night, good good time to hang out, Had some uh, had some old military buddies over, watched yep. the fights, had a good time, had some good food, all that good stuff. Uh, Really just an enjoyable evening and that was basically my weekend. Yesterday was hanging out with the family and all that good stuff. So come back and of course I get in here early on Mondays to check out the latest news from around the military and veteran community. Let me ask you a question, Phil. You were in the Navy for four years, right? Indeed. Did you ever PCS while you were in the military?
2: I, you know, just from a school,
3: to yeah, the fleet. So I mean, that
1: that kind of counts, but not really. In fact, those a school moves, uh, and for those uh, in the other services, wherever you got your training to do your job, like AIT in the uh, in the Army, uh, whatever the Marine Corps calls it, you know, Crayon School or whatever. I don't know, <laughs> but uh, there are limits on it. Like you're allowed, you were allowed, like a small amount of like one box. I think I shipped from Fort Meade mm-hmm. over to Iceland for my first duty station, but then. I moved, let's see, Iceland to Virginia, Virginia to Italy, Italy to Jacksonville, Jacksonville to Greece, Greece to Guam, Guam to home. So I I went through the PCS process a whole bunch. Now, here's the thing. It was just me. I was alone. No family. I've got a family now. Didn't have one during my time in the Navy. It was just a lot easier, I think, because it was just me. I knew what I had. I knew what needed to go everywhere. And I didn't ever have any major issues. Some things would show up broken, like a TV stand once, but it was a cheapo TV stand that I bought at Ikea or wherever. This story is a nightmare that I'm seeing on Military Times, and it involves an Air Force senior master sergeant named Bill Weir and his family. They were moving uh, from Italy, I believe, back to the States, uh, I believe is what they were doing. And an Italian moving company was hired by the military. As soon as I saw that line, Italian moving company.
2: Yeah, that definitely sounds like a cover for something else. I I was
1: stationed. No, it just sounds like uh, uh, everything in Italy. How you think things should work, not how they work. Everything is just backwards. I mean, it's Italians are nice. Hey, yeah, very friendly. Everything's going on. That attitude is great when it's your friend. When it's a business you're dealing with, not so much. So these Italian movers. Basically packed all their stuff just horribly. So here's some of the things that happened. Again, Military Times has this story. Uh, They were shipping their stuff to New Mexico from Italy, and it ruined artwork by a, a professional artist, they had uh, paintings that were put in boxes with leaky liquid containers. So imagine you put, uh, you know, made, I'm probably not priceless. I mean, this is an enlisted man in the Air Force. But you put some artwork that you like, right. some paintings, and they put, like, Dawn dish detergent, and the cap is open, and you get there, and the paintings are all gone.
2: Where do I put the motor oil? I put it thing with the painting. Why not?
1: Yeah, I mean, essentially, that's what it is. Domani, we'll fix it tomorrow. Uh, broke a sunflower sculpture, damaged frescoes, made at an art school in Florence. And this one uh, hurts probably the most for the Weirs. Apparently, they had done a trip to Disneyland Paris when uh, hmm. the senior master sergeant came back from Afghanistan with their five-year-old daughter. She bought a uh, Rapunzel figurine, or they bought her, I should say, a sure. Rapunzel figurine, and it was broken in the move. Destroyed. So now the family, you know, saying to Military Times... How do I tell her that that special thing that she got to remember this time is gone? This guy's made nine moves in 24 years of service. Um, the the wife has made three moves in six years since they got married. Uh, the Barbie house that the little girl had is broken beyond repair because they just shoved it in a box. And there's nothing you can do about it, though. So right. you could think, I'd rather not have an Italian moving company move my stuff because if you ever lived in Italy, you saw how things worked and how things work in Italy is barely things barely work over there. It's amazing to me that that country has been able to move on as it has, because it's just it's a difficult place to live for several, several reasons. So you don't have a choice, though. I mean, they use who they use. It's free. doesn't cost you anything to ship your stuff to the States, back over to Europe, which is Prohibitively expensive on a personal level. If right. you tried to move internationally, you're talking ten thousand dollars, probably minimum. I mean, you're talking Jeez. a ton of money. It, it was going to cost us like two thousand to move from New York to Maryland. That's ridiculous. Now, are you allowed to pack your own stuff when you're? You can doing pack that? your own stuff, yeah, but uh, you know that that's um, again something that they're supposed to take care of, and yeah, it takes yeah. a lot of time to do that. Where are you going to get the boxes from? If you're in the states, it's a little easier. If you're over in Italy. You can't find anything that's open 24 hours a day. To give you an idea of how things like gas stations, not open 24, like nothing's open 24 hours a day. There is no UPS store, at least not where I was living. There was nothing like that. It's not like there was a place to go and get boxes. Yeah, the things that we have over here, again, people go overseas for a vacation and they'll be like, oh, man, Italy was so great. I'd love to live there. No, you wouldn't. You you visited for two weeks. I lived there for two years, and while I had a great time, made some great friends, did sure. some great things, the frustration, the daily frustration with just how things worked or didn't work over there uh, was, was irritating at yeah. best, and it, at times it was like, I want to get out of this place. I want to go home. Yeah, I've got a beautiful view of Mount Etna off my uh, back porch. Uh, of course, if that erupts, my house is probably going to be destroyed <laughs> and I'll lose everything, but y- you get the... Uh, you get the full experience when you're over there yeah. for a couple of years and the movers i i had to tell you movers for mine uh, when i moved from italy to florida and that was probably the worst move that i had as far as hmm. the way things were packed made no sense like there were dishes with things that go in the bedroom packed in the same box and i think i did lose more things in that move than in any other um just the way that it happened and again italy is italy beautiful place beautiful people the way that things work, there just a little bit different than it is anywhere else. Speaking of Italians, today, Bird Dog, is a holiday celebrating an Italian. Oh, it is.
2: Bibbidi, 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 Vini vici. Bibbidi,
1: bibbidi, bibbidi.
2: Venivici America. I never... Christopher Columbus Day.
1: Two years in Italy, never heard anybody say bibbity bibbidi, bibbity. <laughs> heard a lot of things. That wasn't one of them. Uh, Columbus Day, of course, has become, over recent years, controversial because... Recently, we've got this thing where we like to hold people who have been dead for a few hundred years to modern standards. Yes. Can't really do that. Uh, It's kind of difficult to do, but, you know, whatever. If uh, people elect people to office who change things like they did in Cincinnati, I believe, just recently after their fourth try to change it to Indigenous Peoples Day from Columbus Day, go ahead. Uh, You know, uh, have fun. It's it's just an an argument and a conversation I don't really want to have anything to do with. Columbus, Ohio, though, you would not think would ever change Columbus Day because their whole city is named after Christopher Columbus. It's the largest city in the United States to be named after Christopher Columbus, okay? Guess what? They're not doing away with Columbus Day. They're not changing it to Indigenous Peoples Day or anything else. Here's what they are doing, and I want to hear what you think about this, Phil. This city of 860,000 people, the city workers, which is like 8,500. So what's that about? 1% of the population there will not get Columbus Day off. Columbus Day will be a holiday still, but it's a working holiday. It's not a a government holiday where all the workers get it off. Instead, government workers will get Veterans Day off, which they previously did not. What do you think about that?
2: I think it's always nice to grant somebody some time off. Um, I'm not certain that I understand why they wanted to switch.
1: They can only do one. So they didn't have the budget, is what they're saying. Oh, and I'm reading okay. this so, in the, uh, the so Columbus it was a Times thing. Union. Yeah. They could do one holiday or the other. And I think because of the controversy over Columbus Day, um, they decided to just go with Veterans Day, whether it's some sort of PR move or something like that. Um, they they just thought, you know what? we got a lot of veterans working here. We don't have anybody who served on the Nina, the Pinta, or the Santa Maria. So let's move the holiday to that people get off to Veterans Day. And that's something that... I like the idea of, I mean, as far as holidays go, I think Veterans Day is more meaningful to uh, the average modern-day American than Columbus Day is. So I think that's good. In fact, it's kind of upsetting when, as a veteran, this is a holiday that's uh, built around us, our community. Most of the time, you don't get it off. I didn't get it off when I was working in New York. And it wasn't a hot because it wasn't a holiday that people got off working uh, in radio in New York. I didn't even get the time and a half pay that I would get when I worked on Thanksgiving or Christmas or something like that. It's just like it's it's a day that you would normally work, so you know you just go there and I'd walk in and people who knew I was a veteran would say Happy Veterans Day and I'd say Thank you and then sit down and do my work. Columbus Day getting a day off for Columbus Day for city workers and federal workers and things like that. Moving it to Veterans Day, I'm fine with that. Well, I think there's a lot of people that will get upset over it and they'll have the sort of get off my lawn
2: sort of meh, they'll be mad. They'll, Why you change Columbus Day? Well, what's wrong with Columbus? I mean, I think people search for a reason to get angry. Yeah. I think you just pointed out the best reason of all. There are there's a there's a a larger percentage of our population that are veterans than have anything to do with the lineage of Christopher Columbus or Spain yeah. or Portugal or Italy or, you know, however you look at it.
1: Well, Spain, um, Portugal had nothing to do with Columbus. He was I, Italian. He, he was he was from Italy. He no, he's from Italy. He, Spain. The, the Spanish ended up funding him. He went to the Portuguese and they said no. He oh, well, then went okay. to the Spanish and he went over and worked out pretty well for the Spanish. Well, which-
2: my command of... International history is not the greatest, but I do know this, that there's not exactly a lot of people that would have really had much to do. And I know Knights of Columbus is an important organization and they do great work. But I think that to honor the American experience as it is the modern day, um, it's a wise move to maybe switch it up and let people take Veterans Day off. No. I was just talking to my brother, who's a government employee and was rubbing it in today that I had to go into work and he doesn't have to go. Uh and you know, I thought it is kind of weird. We used to celebrate a lot of days that we don't anymore. Uh, there was like Armistice Day and VJ Day. Well, and there so, were all Armistice these...
1: Day is Veterans Day. It's it's November 11th. There it's the same these... thing. It was rolled into one. Basically.
2: There were all these other days, but it used to occur on a different day. I mean, you go back into like the 1940s. No, November or something. 11th.
1: November 11th. The 11th month. 11th day of the 11th month.
3: Was Armistice Veterans day, day?
1: Was Veterans Day always on that day? Yeah. Veterans Day became – there was no Veterans Day. It was Armistice Day, oh, and then they, they, they expanded it to include all wars instead of just World War I.
2: But so. there was Boxing Day. There was VJ Day. No, there Day, was – Boxing was, Day is not an American – hol-
1: Oh, God, you Canadian we used nonsense We have all these – like,
2: we have a lot of holidays that are important historical dates – but Mm. I don't think merit a day off. And I think to like get concerned over the fact that you might change it because it seems politically expedient or you don't want to be involved with, you know, the guy that brought VD to the new world, Mm. Uh, you know, those are all silly arguments. I think it stands to reason that because of this ongoing thing that we've been experiencing in the global war on terror, that taking this day, Armistice Day, formerly known as now Veterans Day, and honoring that, I would like to see that a national holiday because as you and I, interestingly enough, have worked in the media- I don't think I've ever had this day off. And it was kind of funny last year. Do you remember giggling in the office here? Um, Oh, everybody here is a veteran. ConnectingVets.com. We're all veterans. And everybody came to work last
1: year. Guess who's not veterans? The company. That's who's not. Here's a comment from Amy Domley who's checking us out on Facebook Live. I'm sure more people would rather have Veterans Day off. I would hope they would take that time to spend with veterans. That would be nice. Although, let's be honest, when it comes to holidays, Memorial Day – how many people go out to the Memorial Day parades? How many people go right. visit uh, a veteran cemetery? How many people uh, do any of those things? Not many. I mean, yeah, there are those who right. do. I like going to the Memorial Day parade um, in my mom's hometown. That's that's a, always a fun time. It's kind of the the beginning of summer as well. Uh, people spend it with their families, and people spend holidays however they're going to to spend their holidays. There's there's that's just the way it is. But right. Veterans Day is one that. would mean more to people than Columbus Day, again, because ain't nobody alive who remembers Christopher Columbus, but most people who are alive know at least one veteran in Mm -hmm. their family or their group of friends. Yeah, we're a small percentage of the population, but... We are a very visible percentage of the population and uh, hopefully getting it more and more visible out there. And yeah, you know, there are ties to like the Italian community. Me growing up in the Northeast, the New York City sure. metro area, uh, the largest percentage of uh, Italian Americans up there. This is a big holiday for them. And and I would be shocked if you ever saw it changed in like New York City. Hmm. If, if Brooklyn or Queens ever decided like, well, eh, we're going to call it Indigenous Peoples Day. Brooklyn and Queens might burn down. I mean, it is, it's is—it's a big deal to uh, uh, a lot of people up there. But why do they get a day off for it? The Irish don't get a day off for St. Patrick's Day,
2: although... Let's face it. Well, they, I don't
1: think they necessarily many do, take the day off for St. Yeah. Patrick's Day. I don't I mean. think they get a day off. I think they take the day off. Like it's unless you're if you're a city worker, okay. But if you are you know, working at a, a law firm or you're an accountant right. or you're a janitor, you just take the day off. You take a vacation day or whatever. You know, Bjorn
2: Svordenson Day in Minnesota. How come yeah. we don't get that off?
1: Bjorn Fjordensen Day? You just said Boxing Day earlier. Boxing Day is a British and Canadian holiday. We've never celebrated Boxing Day in this country. You communist heathen. You heathen. So, yeah, Columbus, Ohio, the largest city in the country named after Christopher Columbus. Basically, not doing away with Columbus Day, it would kind of not make sense unless they're going to change the name of the city. Ooh, that would be fun. Let's name, let's rename Veterans Columbus, Ohio. Ohio. Yeah, <laughs> Veterans, Ohio. Like Truth or Consequences, New Mexico, which was named after the TV show, as I learned from <laughs> AFN commercials that I've seen a million, a million times. So uh, that is uh, that's kind of a big thing, I guess. Here's a horrible story that's coming out of Oregon, and it actually happened a couple of years ago, but we're basically just learning about it now. Uh, You can find out about it on ConnectingVets.com. Brian Perry was 31 years old. He was an Army veteran. Had served in Iraq, was awarded a Purple Heart. He was arrested in November 2016 and booked at the Clackamas County Jail in Oregon and uh, apparently was showing symptoms of someone who had used methamphetamine, perhaps heroin. There were some other possibilities. His family filed a lawsuit alleging jail staff carelessly uh, treated him and violated his rights hours before he was pronounced dead. This lawsuit says jail nurses checked on him only twice uh, as he was showing again the signs of an overdose, spending a total of only five minutes with him. They also claim that the parent company that provides medical services for the jail, Horizon Health Incorporated, has a, quote, nationwide pattern and practice of failing to properly treat inmates experiencing drug or alcohol overdose or withdrawal. Uh, there are two videos that were apparently captured on cell phone by jailers that showed them kind of joking and laughing um, that people are pretty upset about. It's gallows humor. I get it. I think a lot of people in the military get it. It's kind of how you deal with awful situations, Mm -hmm. which uh, in any other context than you actually going through that can make it seem especially callous. You know Uh, what they were saying, what they were uh, making comments about was like, you could just take him and put him in front of the class saying that the guy could be like a new D.A.R.E. program. You know, D.A.R.E., the drug uh, abuse and resistance, uh, drug awareness and resistance education, I think it is. saying that, hey, you know, show these, that that's what they're saying, like, hey, we could use this guy to show kids what drugs actually can do to you. Of course, this is someone who ended up dying, and that makes it look even worse than it was. Um, you know, this is the joking around about it again it's a—it's an unforgiving job that those folks do uh, I bet you they feel silly for recording themselves doing that now the joking around doesn't bother me nearly as much as the fact that the guy was only seen twice by medical personnel mm-hmm. if someone's overdosing you have to check on them now yes it's his own fault he's the one who put himself in that predicament in that situation and if he hadn't been arrested he probably just would have died out on the streets and then no one would be uh, you know filing any lawsuits or anything like that But he was arrested, and when the police take someone into custody, they do basically take on uh, responsibility for that person's Mm well-being. Doesn't look like they held up their end of the bargain here. That's what bothers me about this. Um, You know, this is a guy, Purple Heart recipient, Army veteran, served in Iraq, uh, was honorably discharged, doesn't seem to have anything in his service, uh, but after his service, clearly... Had some issues. The fact that he's a veteran is certainly going to make it uh, uh, pop a little bit more as far as the news coverage. I mean, it was in the New York Times. Um, Anytime anything happens with the police, things like this, it, it shows up there, which I think gives people a bit more of a feeling that it's happening more often than it is. Again, things that make it onto the news, particularly on the national level, are things that do not normally happen. Guy walking down Phil Briggs Street up there in Maryland, just doing his own thing and not causing any problems, he's not going to make the news. Guy running down the street with his hair on fire, shooting a t-shirt gun into windows and smashing them and stuff. Right. That guy's going to be on the news. That will only happen once in a blue moon. The guy walking down the street every single day. Um, so this is a, this is a case where it's going to get a lot of a uh, lot of lot of headlines and a lot of spotlight here.
2: Well, you know, we have a tendency to honor the phrase if it bleeds it leads and in the media you know we love the dark story we love the story with some action with some violence with some just you know we love to have our emotional heartstrings tugged and pulled on and nothing does that more so than these stories of strife and sadness and struggle and they put them out there as red meat for us every single day but I think the takeaway what we what at least in my opinion when I look at when I see these stories in front of my wife and kids and stuff um, is that the calluses on our personality are developing because of the social journalism or the social media journalism world Mm. we live in. People love to post videos. People love to be snarky. People love sarcasm. The world has become filled with this dark diet of angry staple foods that we view and watch every day. And it's tough to say that- The gallows humor is inappropriate because sometimes it's the only way you get through this crazy world because you have to be able to joke about it. But I think when it comes right down to it, it's easier to laugh at the crazy person or laugh at the poor person or laugh at that disheveled, homeless, bearded, scary, Jesus, Aqualong looking guy that's begging for change. You know, it's so easy to say, oh, that person's in the wrong. Look at them. They're a waste of space. But that's kind of the callous right there. That's the that's the reaction that we're growing to give our or that's the reaction that we have grown to give all the time to this negativity and we really do need to i think kind of step it up and realize that everyone is a person and if you've ever said the words all lives matter or any lives matter you need to really live by that you can't just simply joke cuz somebody's down on their luck or addicted or
1: i've never said that so i don't need to worry about it i guess <laughs> Some we people, are all morally some upstanding are, good people. Some people are a waste of space. I see them on the roads driving into work every morning. But here, there's another good example. You know what? I will talk about how nobody can drive because of the one person out of a thousand that I see every morning who does right. something stupid on the road. That one person doing something wrong sticks out and the other thousand, 999, are doing the right thing. You don't think about them. You yep. think about the one who's doing it wrong. We're trying to do it right at ConnectingVets.com. Connecting. Betts every day is our slogan, and that is what we do through a variety of means and methods. And content. Of course, audio like this. Of course, we've got uh, videos that go up on the site. The Benefits in My Backyard segment from Jonathan Kopanger will really help you out. Each of the 50 states, he went through and found out what's available to veterans, how you can be helped by your state, whether it's looking for a job, whether it's getting buried. There's a lot of different things that they can help Even you moving, out Even moving, like you mentioned at the yeah, top of the hour. Moving's a big one. There's a lot of big ones up there, and you can find them all at ConnectingVets.com or on social media where we are at connecting vets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Coming up next, we're going to talk to the Brundage family. This family is dealing with three of their four children being diagnosed with autism, but their life isn't over. It's just different, and they wanted to talk to us about how they can help get information out there to families, what families can look for for support, for help, all that stuff that really we should be giving to families who are dealing with that. Sean is a Navy veteran. His wife and he, they've got a lot of great things, and their son was recently recognized by the state of Minnesota for the work that he's done advocating for his three siblings with autism. All that's still to come on The Morning Briefing. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to The Morning Briefing from Entercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day is our slogan, and it's what we do, and you know why we do it. Well, if you don't know, let me tell you. Each and every member of our team here knows what it's like to have worn the uniform of the United States Armed Forces, or knows what it's like to have grown up as a child of someone serving in uniform, or be the spouse of someone serving in uniform. We all have that experience, that experience that you have as well, and that's why our team is working tirelessly every day to get you the information that you need to live your best veteran life. We're talking about benefits. We're talking about jobs. We're talking about mental health. We're talking about awareness. We're talking about legislation. Everything that can affect veterans, you can find it on ConnectingVets.com, and of course we are on social media where we are at ConnectingVets on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. Our next guests are a married couple calling in from out by the Twin Cities there in Minnesota. Sean and Shaletta Brundage are going to talk to us about the issues that they face raising four children, three of which have been diagnosed with autism. Of course, we all saw the story of Maddox Rich in North Carolina, who was wandering off from his father and was later found dead. A horrible story, an upsetting story, a story that I don't think a lot of people understand uh, the issues behind what happened there with Maddox Rich. Well, the Brundages do. As I said, three of their children diagnosed with autism. And uh, as I understand it, Sean and Shaletta Brundage, first off, welcome to the show. And Sean, you're a Navy veteran. Is that right?
3: That is correct. I am a Navy Navy veteran.
1: You know, as a veteran who's uh, who's now out of the service, you know how how do you look back on and how do you still feel connected to the military and the veteran community, or do
3: you? Uh, yeah, I still feel connected to the veteran community. Um, when I was a single man, uh, not so much. But as I got married and, and started to utilize some of the benefits that are available to retired military uh, veterans, uh, we've come across some very Uh, Friendly networks of people, the VFW, um, have worked with us in in making modifications to our home, uh, allowing us to put a fence in to help keep our kids safe. That's one of the activities the veterans were very heavily involved in here uh, in the last 12 months or so. Uh, So I'm I'm very connected to um, the the military and the veterans that are in, in the Cottage Grove area here. Well, that's
1: great to hear. And it's great to hear that you guys are are getting some help from those organizations and maybe even helping bring some awareness to those organizations. Uh, Shaletta, let me ask you, with three children that have autism, when people come up to you or you come up to someone, what's the first thing you think that people should know and understand about what it's like to raise children who have autism?
0: Um, it would be nice if they understood that every child is different, um, even though we have three children with autism. Each one is on a different level of the spectrum, and that's why they call it a spectrum. So our six-year-old Brandon, he's in a regular classroom with, you know, his his kids his age. He's not in special education. He talks and looks exactly like, you know, his peers. There's nothing that if you talk to him for about five minutes, you wouldn't even be able to tell that he um, has been diagnosed with autism. Um, our daughter, Cameron, has a little social Anxiety, but she's five years old and she's also in a regular classroom. But our son Daniel, um, he's three years old and he um, is not talking. He um, has to be prompted to um, say words. Um, If his tummy is hurting or if his foot hurts, um, he's not able to tell me that. And like Maddox Rich in North Carolina, he is a wanderer. If you let go of his hand, he'll run off. And even if you call his name, he won't respond. Now, the other children, they will. If you call their name, just like any other mom, they'll respond by either being scared or they'll stop, but not this one. He has no sense of fear or danger, and he's very attracted to water. And so as people come up to us and they look at the kids, they say, well, this kid, um, these two have autism, and they're fine. What's wrong with this one? Well, that's why it's called a spectrum. And it's so important for people to understand that each child on the spectrum is different.
1: It, there certainly are different levels to that spectrum of course there's you know what what they call high functioning autism and then those uh, who are on the low functioning end of the spectrum uh, Sean when you think about uh, you know the, the years that you've spent with three of your children being diagnosed with autism uh, the, the two older ones who have been are in normal uh, regular school classrooms I should say not normal uh, mm-hmm. but your your youngest Daniel uh, what would you like people to know about the difficulties that families can face when dealing with someone who is not not as high-functioning on the autism spectrum. Uh,
3: patience is uh, first and foremost. You, you have to be patient with, with all children on the spectrum because each uh, child manifests the autism differently. Um, Brandon and Cameron, though they're high-functioning now, we're not always high-functioning, and it's a direct result of some of the therapy that they receive through the Lovas Institute. And this Therapy is behavioral modification therapy, uh, where you reinforce good behaviors. Um, it takes years to show improvement. I mean, we, we have a six-month assessment um, all, every, twice a year to see how they're progressing, and very scripted programs to address the behaviors uh, to get them to um, function within normal uh, behavioral limits so they can go to a regular classroom. Um, This therapy is intense and and can be up to 40 hours per week per child, and that therapy is in our home. Uh, So if a child is on the spectrum and does not receive any of that therapy, um, parents are probably going to be pulling their hair out as well as other parents that are looking at them respond to their children. So you have to have patience um, and and meet each kid where they're at. Um, It's our desire that every child who's on the spectrum receives some kind of therapy, whether it be through an institutionalized setting or um, therapy in the home. Uh, As long as they get something, that's going to help them. But you have to recognize that it's not like taking a pill where two days later you feel better. This is therapy that takes years to develop the right behaviors so that they can function independently.
0: And, and and the thing about that, too, is that it's all about access and information, and that's why my husband and I are talking to you now, because we want to encourage and inform other parents who have special needs children or people even who know parents who they think may have special needs children about the information that we can share and how they can access it. Um, and one of the things that we saw with Maddox is that uh, people were judging the dad. Well, how could he let that kid get away from him? And, you know, why didn't he run after him or why didn't he, Um, stop him from getting away and our son Daniel again is a wanderer and we every day are one moment away from an Amber Alert um, if we want to go to the park, we have to have um, volunteers to come and help because we don't have family here in Minnesota. Um, if we don't have volunteers, a lot of times we just stay home um, and we play in the backyard or we watch a movie because it's just not safe for us to take him anywhere. With, with four children and two adults, they, they have us pretty outnumbered. And so uh, we look down at a kid, we take one child to the restroom and close the door or we wash our hands, and he runs off. And every day... Um, you know, we are just moments away or one text message away or one Facebook post away from losing our child. And it is very difficult for people who don't have children on the autism spectrum to understand why didn't that dad run after his child? How could he get away? It happens to us every day. And if you don't have a child with autism, you don't understand how difficult it is to keep them safe.
1: It is something that, uh, you know, I I know with, I I have a a five-year-old, he's almost six. And, you know, he's fully able to communicate with me. And even so, keeping tabs on just him, just one by himself, (laughs) is incredibly difficult. I can't imagine what it's like with four children and then with children who have difficulties communicating. And as you said, with your youngest, Daniel, uh, being a wanderer, someone who would wander off. What do you think we can do to make sure that that people are more aware of the issues that come with autism and and don't judge people like Maddox Rich's father, uh, who is clearly devastated by what happened? I mean, who wouldn't be? Uh, What do you think we can do to address that and make sure that people are aware that raising children with autism comes with very, very special uh, circumstances?
3: I I think it's important to just raise the the awareness. Um, The more we can talk about autism and the more you can get Uh, your listeners engaged in talking to people who have kids on the spectrum um, to understand what life is like, Um, you know, the internet's a great resource. Autism Speaks is a a website that people can go to just to understand, you know, the challenges that people face. Um, The Autism Society of Minnesota is another one. Um, the Lovaus Institute that provides behavioral therapy, the the Fraser School, all of these uh, resources are out there. Um, but unless you have a child on the spectrum, you may not know about it. Um, you have to talk to uh, pediatricians and get the medical community engaged. Um, when we were first diagnosed with Brandon, you know, our pediatrician was really kind of in denial, like, no, nope, he'll, he'll come around. He'll come around. He'll be fine. Just give him some time. And Shaletta kept pushing. We kept pushing. We finally got the testing, and it's a battery of tests that have to be done to diagnose autism. Um, but we did it in Houston at the uh, university, um, and, you know, we, we got the diagnosis, but you can't get any services unless you get the diagnosis.
0: And it's so important for people not to be in denial. If they see any signs in their children, if they're wringing their hands, if they're you know, spinning around in circles, if they're lining up their food and not eating it, um, if they're playing with imaginary butterflies. It doesn't have anything to do with your parenting, your great mom or great dad, but it's really important that you go to um, your pediatrician and ask them to refer you to get a test. And if they say that the child doesn't have autism, then that's fine. But go ahead and get a test and don't worry about what the labels are and don't be afraid of what may happen if you do get the test. Because if you get the test and it comes back that your child has autism, then guess what? The world opens up to a bunch of services that can help them. And early intervention is the key. Our kids have been getting services because they got diagnosed at 18 months or two years old, and they've been getting the services. And that's why now they're in, you know, a classroom with their normally developing peers. But so many times parents are in denial or they want to wait to see how it's going to play out or if they're going to, the kids are going to take a turn for the better. And then they've lost one, two, three years of good autism therapy and so now the kids are at a disadvantage and they're two or three years behind their peers and it's so important that you see those warning signs that you um, make note of it that you talk to your doctor that you uh, are not afraid or ashamed to get a diagnosis and then go out and get the therapy and the help that you need for your child early on so that when they get to kindergarten or first grade um, they'll be right there with their friends.
1: Speaking of when kids get to kindergarten, first grade, you have four children. Your oldest, Andrew, is uh, not, has not been diagnosed with autism. How did you deal with that, making sure that he understood? For other families out there that might have uh, an autistic child, what have you found is the, most, uh, uh, the best way to basically uh, make the sibling aware and understanding of, of the issues that are going on?
0: Well, you know what? Andrew actually is an advocate for his siblings, um, and he participates in their therapy. He will go into uh, a therapy center, and he will sit in the room and watch them, and he's watched their growth, and he's watched their development, and he actually can run therapy trials. He um, is so engaged with the therapist that sometimes they come out and get him to perform peer modeling and peer tutoring, and we make sure that he takes care of them and he helps them to learn to read and dress themselves. And he is a good role model and example. But not only that, he understands uh, globally that there's kids that have autism outside of his household, and so more than just his sister and his two brothers are impacted. But there's a whole community of children who can't speak or who can't. understand simple instructions and who are growing up and who may need uh, special services for the rest of their lives. So Andrew wrote a letter to the governor and asked for more training for police officers uh, to learn how to deal with people who have autism. And he actually was invited to the state capitol and um, spoke with several senators about a Bill in the Senate here in the state of Minnesota that funds training for police officers when dealing uh, with people who have autism. So he has been an advocate, um, and he has worked tirelessly to try and help uh, create a better life for his siblings who have special needs and not just for them for um, kids who need um, special services and they've nicknamed him Andrew the Advocate (laughs) because he's working so hard to help his siblings.
1: That is awesome to hear absolutely awesome and actually that's been covered by the media out there in Minnesota I know the local CBS channel uh, did a story on what Andrew did to bring attention to this issue and it's just another aspect of autism that we we might not consider on a day-to-day basis particularly those of us not living with children affected and not affected by it directly, making sure that the police understand that this is someone you might have to deal with uh, a little bit differently. Let me ask you guys. Yeah, because
0: um, we, um, you know, Daniel being a wanderer will run off and, you know, he might run into somebody's house and that's cute when he's three. But what happens when he runs into somebody's house and he's 13 and he's wringing his arms and they're trying to talk to him and he can't respond or talk back? Um, They're going to call the police and the, the people who live there may be afraid. Um, and so it's so important that the police and law enforcement learn how to deal with kids who can't talk, who are not really a danger um, and not a threat, but who have special needs um, and that need to be addressed before um, any weapons are drawn or, or you know anybody's placed in handcuffs.
1: We're speaking with Sean and Shaletta Brundage. They have four children, three of whom have been diagnosed with autism. And one of the things that your family does is shares tips and strategy and help and trying to build that community to let people know, hey, like with all disabilities, life changes, but it doesn't end when that autism diagnosis comes through. Let me ask you, for the military families who are affected by this, who may have an autistic child and then may have a parent who's deployed for a year or six months or whatever the case may be, is there something that the friends and community who know the families can do that you think would be particularly helpful when you have a, a single parent or a deployed parent or something like that?
3: Tap into local uh, organizations that provide volunteers, PCA services, um, they can be tremendously helpful when it comes to just doing simple things like running to the grocery store. Um, they have sitters that can come into your home and, you know, sit with you for a few minutes. Uh, there's respite care. You know, if, if you've got a, a family member that's deployed, that dad's deployed, and mom's home with an autistic child, that's a lot of stress. Um, so I encourage moms to, you know, connect with the volunteer organization, the, the broader community, to see what services are available uh, that can help ease their burden. Um, even 30 minutes a day uh, can, can be helpful. Um, we've had the luxury of having uh, some family means uh, services come in and, and help out volunteers to come on Saturday afternoons just to spend an hour or two with the kids playing out back. And that's been really, really helpful for Mom and I, uh, just to get a, a mental break uh, from, from caring for the kids, you know, 24-7 around the clock, you know.
0: I can actually take a shower with the door closed. And it's amazing.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's,
1: that, it's, it's those little things that I, I think all parents understand to some extent the, uh, how things change when you have a child. It changes a little bit more when that child has autism, would you say, Shaletta?
0: Yeah, it does. And, you know, that's not the end of the story, though. You know, when when they diagnosed my children, uh, my third child with autism, I went into a really, really deep depression. Um, I probably lost 30 pounds, 40 pounds, maybe even 50 pounds. I stopped eating, um, stopped communicating with friends and family, stopped praying, stopped going to church. And I got so down because I thought that that was just the end, that my children would never have a regular life. They would never get married. They would never graduate from college. All the dreams that I thought I had for my children um I-, I believed in my heart that they were over and that they would live with me forever and they would never be potty trained and they would never get a high school diploma and they would be in special education all their lives. But it's about access and information. And the information that I got was through this applied behavior therapy or ABA therapy that my kids could do better and live better. And they came into our home, and like my husband said, they work with the kids 40 hours a week. Um, each child gets that much therapy. And we saw great improvements after just two years. And now my kids are in regular classrooms. My son Daniel, the wanderer who can't um, speak as much as he would like and understand simple commands, can actually read a book. He can read words that he's never seen before. We couldn't believe it. We just found this out a couple of weeks ago. So now we know we can communicate with him through language, through written word. And that's amazing. It would never have happened had we not gotten the early diagnosis, had we been in denial and tried to put it off, had we not wanted to put labels on him, and had we not gotten the services early enough to make a difference before school starts. And so now I know that my kids can graduate from college. They can get married. They can make me a grandmama when the time is right because we got the services early enough to make a difference in their lives.
1: Of course, the first step that people should take if they suspect that their child might be autistic would be to contact the medical professionals. Beyond that, what are some of the national organizations that you're aware of that you think would be most beneficial to families who are dealing with autism?
0: Um, Like my husband said, um, the... Autism Society uh, in their local state. Um, each state has an Autism Society. Um, autism Speak is another uh, great organization. Um, every university has um, a pediatric um, Department and they have researchers in the neurological department, and a lot of times they are the ones who um, do the autism diagnoses and just connecting with the developmental pediatrician and a developmental psychologist um, who can put you in touch with organizations. But, you know, we um, have talked to our regular therapists, our speech therapists and our occupational therapists and our school professionals to say, hey, who do we contact? How can we get in touch with people? Because we're up in Minnesota with no family and friends. Um, and we don't know who to go to because we don't, you know, all of our friends have older children who have graduated from college. How do we get in touch with someone? And, you know, once they put us in touch with one organization, then we can go to a group meeting and talk to other parents. It's about connecting with the parents and getting that information and having access to those services. Um, but you got to get yourself into those communities and those group meetings, and, and, and then you can find out about what's going on and who the best speech therapist is in town and who the best uh, who, who's the best volunteer organization in town And, you know, what's coming up next, the fundraisers, the runs, the races, the walks, um, the, you know, the, 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 you know, camps, all that happens when you get out there and you start connecting with people. Just like you connect veterans, you know, the, the autism moms and dads, they have to connect with one another because every piece of information I found out came from another mom or another dad of a child who had autism, who had been in the fight a little bit longer than me. And that's why my husband and I always reach back to try to pull up another parent who just... This guy recently diagnosed um, with their child with autism, or you know who suspect that there may be um, a diagnosis coming so that we can give them every ounce of information and support that we had um, given to us.
1: We've been speaking with Sean and Shaletta Brundage. Sean is a Navy veteran, and between the two of you, they have four children, three of whom have been diagnosed with autism, are living with autism, and it sounds like thriving with autism for the most part, doing some amazing things, really a great story. Uh, Sean, I wanted to ask you, if there's a message that you could give to uh, the parents out there who might have just recently received the diagnosis of autism with their child, what would your message to them be?
3: Take action. Take action. Yes, you've got the diagnosis. That opens up a whole world of services. Be active and curious. Ask a lot of questions. Uh, You don't get the services unless you have the diagnosis. Um, And make sure you always advocate for your children.
0: Mm -hmm. Be aggressive. Um, You know, when I... When we first got our kids in in school and they were in special education, I wanted to know immediately, what was the plan to get them out of special education? We don't want them to be there forever. Um, You know, if, if, you know, I think that they need something that the insurance is not paying for, I go and file an appeal. Um, If it's something that we can't afford, we go and find the services um, and the resources that are out there through grants and scholarships that will take care of that for us so our children can get it. Um, There's so many companies out there that have foundations and that do fundraisers to raise money for kids who have autism. Well, guess what? I'm going to demand that you spend that money on kids who have autism, namely mine. So when you have that big fundraiser, you're going to cut me a big check and you're going to buy iPads for all my kids and make sure that they have the the apps on there that's going to help them. And, you know, we have speech therapy for three kids, and we have behavior therapy and occupational therapy and physical therapy, and even the co-pays are expensive. Well, there's organizations out there that help pay for those co-pays so that parents aren't burdened with um, trying to find the money themselves to pay for that because they may not have that available at home. And so just because you don't have the resources doesn't mean the kids don't get the services. There's so many foundations out there that can help pay for the things that your children need.
1: Sean and Shaletta Brundage are doing an amazing job of advocating, as is their oldest son, Andrew, who was featured on CBS out in Minnesota for the work that he's done, working to get the state of Minnesota to train police officers to better deal with people with autism. Uh, if there's somebody who out there who wants to find out a little bit more about that advocacy work that you're doing, that your son is doing, uh, is there some place that they can go to look into that or some place that you'd recommend they go if they're interested in advocating for themselves?
0: Well, we, we we should probably set up a website, huh, honey?
3: <laughs> <laughs> might not be a bad idea.
0: <laughs> but um, we, we just, you know, we're just on the ground. We're doing grassroots stuff um, on our own. When we see a problem, we jump on it. When we see a situation that's not right, we start speaking out. Um, and, and we don't wait for a particular organization to you know run through them we just start calling folks and saying hey we need to talk to you because this isn't right and we want to speak out and speak up and let people know what what to do and what the deal is and what's really going on in the autism community so I would say for people if, if they see something out there and they know it's not right or they have something that's on their heart that they need to tell their story call their local media call your newspapers call your television stations call your radio stations because they that's where your voice is going to be heard. Use your social media, post it on Facebook, put it on Twitter, you know, put, upload the video onto Instagram and tell your story. Um, social media is so powerful and it's connecting people um, in ways that we never thought was possible. And you can tell your story and the story of others um, just through your Facebook and Twitter pages. So use whatever is at your fingertips um, to get the word out about um, anything, any celebrations or any concerns in the autism community.